Well, good morning. I was just discussing with a friend yesterday about uh, the Lankavatara. And just as accident, we ended up talking about some other stuff as well. And so I just thought I'd read some passages here that I've highlighted that uh, speak to the message that's in the Lankavatara. So the first one I read to him was that everything that confronts them is vanity. Since the same fate comes to all, to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. This is an evil in all that happens under the sun. That the same fate comes to everyone. Moreover, the hearts of all are full of evil. Madness is in the hearts while they live. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, and even the memory of them is lost. And who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a thing? Wisdom makes one's face shine, and the hardness of one's countenance is changed. No one has power over the wind to restrain the wind or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from the battle. All this I observed applying my mind to all that is done under the sun while one person exercises authority over another to the other's hurt. Do not be too righteous and do not act too wise. Do not be too wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of the one without letting go of the other. Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers. Surely there is no one on earth so righteous as to do good without ever sinning. That which is, is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my mind to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the sum of things and to know that wickedness is folly and that foolishness is madness. I found more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, one who pleases just a, uh, well, hold on here. Wow. Yeah, quite a bit here. Quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one bungler destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a foul odor. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. If the iron is blunt and one does not wet the edge, then more strength must be exerted, but wisdom helps one succeed. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. Divide your means seven ways or even eight. Diversification. Just as... You do not know the breath 
comes to the bones in the mother's womb, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Even those who live many years should rejoice in them all, and yet let them remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Banish anxiety from your mind and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity, and the breath returns where it whence it came. Vanity of vanity, says the teacher, all is vanity. Fear creation and keep the commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. That actually is uh, selections from Ecclesiastes, uh, the Old Testament. I actually read some of these um, passages uh, to a friend of mine and agreed that geez, it, it could just as easily have been stolen right from from the Lanka Vatara. Right? The message being right, to come to understand thyself, right? Come to understand thyself, and in so doing, you come to understand the nature of the universe and maybe be able to work within it. It just is tough, the current situation all around us. It just seems that everyone is trying to take advantage of others. Let's see here, I was meaning to look this up. This here is the uh, first letter of Paul to Timothy. This is uh, first Timothy. Uh, there is only one Timothy. Uh, pardon my memory here this morning. Uh, Timothy 1, uh, 8, 9, and 10. So 8 begins, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it legitimately. This means understanding that the law is laid down not for the innocent, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the godless and sinful, for the unholy and the profane. For those who kill their father or their mother, for murderers, fornicators, sodomites, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching. Here's 1.11. That conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Right. So you can ignore that last line if you like, but you can't ignore this truth, that law is made not for the lawful, but for the lawless. So the hypocrisy is almost immediate, right? So is someone who is not innocent, but lawless and disobedient, are they going to follow the law? No, they are godless and sinful, unholy and profane. They kill their fathers, their mothers. They are murderers, fornicators, sodomites, slave traders, liars, perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. You don't have to believe in uh, the sound teachings coming from anywhere except from what keeps the uh, society together, 
what is just plain and simple true. I was in a discord room, a language room, and there was a couple of these uh, idolatrists uh, in uh, talking about how they're supporting, uh, well, supporting evil. And that's the problem, right? For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good or whether both alike will be bad. We are in an odd time when even though best to keep your mouth shut and think them a fool than to open your mouth and remove all dice. Right? As an apple tree among the trees of the wood, so my beloved among young men. Right? You want to be valuable. You want to be worthwhile. You don't want to just be a non-player character. Right? I've mentioned this many times before, but it just, it seems to fall on deaf ears that you can almost open almost any of these texts from the Bhagavad Gita, which I have right here. I'll just open it and we'll probably see. So I open just, uh, this is the Bible. This one happens to be uh, the new revised standard version. It's happened to be uh, the most recent one I got from the thrift store. It's a wonderful sewn um, copy printed in America, and I just so happened to open it at Ezekiel, oops, just so happened to open it at Ezekiel, and here I open the Bhagavad Gita, this one I have is actually uh, chapters 1 to 5, uh, so it opened up to chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, oh Arjuna, if at any time I did not continue to perform actions without pause, men would wholly imitate my way. If I did not perform actions in a balanced way, these universes would be annihilated. I would be the cause of dire confusion, the improper admixture of duties. I would thus be the instrument of men's ruination. It's interesting. This is uh, important because it's uh, the karma path. Right uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Krishna, it's a discussion between Arjuna and Krishna. And uh, after being told about all the different paths that one can take, right, wisdom path, devotion path, uh, Arjuna says, but please, please, I ask you, which is the ultimate path? And that's when he mentions that karma, yoga, actions, uh, as James said in the Bible, right, better than faith. Or what is faith without works, right? So here I actually opened this up here. This is Ezekiel. This is uh, 38. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Immortal, set your face towards Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Mesek and Tubal, prophecy against him. This is an important uh, discussion. This is actually what's going on today. Some people believe the prophecy of the Gog and the Magog is going on now, right? It's here. Uh, this is uh, Ezekiel 38, uh, 14 uh, to 16. Therefore, mortal prophecy and say to God, Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people, uh, Israel, people of Israel, are living securely, you will rouse yourself and come from your place out of the remotest parts of the north 
and you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You will come up against my people, Israel. Like a cloud covering the earth in the later days, I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me. And through you, O God, I display my holiness before their eyes. And it seems odd, but that's actually what a rabbinic uh, rabbi, uh, rabbinic rabbi, ah, <laughs> uh, jeez, an orthodox rabbi, he, he put up a, a video and he mentioned uh, Moshe Maimonides and how he said we were to look at all, uh, even uh, great tragedies as... Uh, very similar to the way Nietzsche sees it, this eternal return, right? that everything is uh, for a purpose. Right? Everything is, is, is asked for. Right? And so what lessons are to be learned, right? Everything is destined, as it were. Yeah, and it's interesting because this is actually, if you look, when God's armies are destroyed. 39.7 says, My holy name I will make known among my people. And I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. This idea that um, this experiment, as I said, in nihilism and apathy and, and, and toxic atheism has failed us. As I said, when I join a, a, a chat room that's supposed to be about uh, learning languages and practicing languages and they're in there uh, cheering on terror, I do believe that's what Ezekiel is talking about. It's not talking about making us all Jews or or even making us all Mohammedans. I do believe the lesson is to teach us what I often mention. So very much like the Bhagavad Gita, I can't remember exactly who, but somebody turned to Christ and uh, he says, hey, you know, give us the too long didn't read. Right? What, what is the nature of uh, this faith you're preaching? What is, you know, this law that you want to bring back to us. And of course, he says, first, you must love all creation, right? You must love God. I consider that as a panentheist. Yes, I absolutely do love God because I love all of the universe. I, I wake up every day and feel so absolutely blessed that I have the people in my life that I do, even though I have very little and I suffer a great deal according to some metrics. But I feel so incredibly blessed, like this morning, a wonderful walk, got to go up the street to that shrine I've told you about, um, right, since uh, they closed down the, uh, the Buddhist temple here in town, um, I started using uh, a Mary statue as, uh, right, because when I first found that uh, Buddhist temple, it was just by accident, uh, I came across some photos on uh, Google that somebody, oh, hold on. Sorry about that. I had to sneeze. So uh, I, I came across some photos on Google that uh, showed they had a big, big, big uh, Guanyin Abilo Kitesra statue. 
So that I wanted to go down and see. So, yeah, sorry. So that's actually how I got uh, introduced to that uh, particular uh, temple. I just went down, didn't go into the temple. The museum was closed. I just went to the back and visited the, the Guan Yin, the Abhilai Kachesra statue. Uh, and uh, I made it uh, somewhat of a habit to go visit her. And just uh, by the nature of doing that, eventually, I guess they noticed me. And, uh, well, we we uh, started talking. And eventually, I started giving tours uh, in the museum. But, uh, yeah. So, for me, I don't see a difference. Just up the road, there's a Catholic church. And they have a uh, an altar, a shrine uh, to Mary on the side. There's no difference I see between the, the archetype of Guan Yin and the archetype of Mary, right? Because technically, uh, Suzuki writes about this, that uh, Guan Yin is much more, like even though Buddhas are genderless, uh, she's much more feminine and takes, uh, well, she can take any form she likes. It's called uh, dimensional bodies. But she tends to prefer this female uh, aspect because... Uh, compassion, right? That's that's how Dysets uh, explains it, and I don't disagree with him. But I go one step further, and I argue <clears throat> that it's all an archetype. In fact, I spoke about this that uh, if Christ is the ultimate archetype of a human being, like wouldn't that make the mother uh, even better? Sure, she could still have had uh, you know an imperfect life, but she raised the perfect human. So she was the perfect mother, right? So there's a couple of archetypes in there that even better if she was, uh, you know, an imperfect human being and was still able to raise another perfect human being. Exactly what we should all be uh, trying to do. Exactly why I support something called the, the Moosehide campaign. The idea, I don't know about the charity because uh, you know, I don't know them personally, but the idea that we should be much more conscious about what violence uh, to our women and our children does to our society uh, broadly. And, and I argue that uh, it destroys us. It denatures our humanity. We've seen that with trauma. We've seen that with uh, parenting. I've told you about that both uh, from research and from anecdotal experience. Right? So that's what I think Ezekiel is talking about is a reverence a reverence that is missing. Um, yeah, you don't have to believe, as the Vedantins say, but you must practice, right? It doesn't matter uh, so much your certainty, right? Uh, your confidence isn't the most important, but your commitment, your commitment will support any lack of confidence, right? Your commitment will support your devotion, right? Trust comes from action. This is why uh, we talk about, uh, right? You can't have faith without works. This is why we talk about uh, karma yoga as the ultimate. This is why uh, to many, the bodhisattva ideal, right? This is someone who, uh, even if they attain ultimate liberation, freedom from all suffering, they vow to continue to return and to continue to suffer until all sentient beings. In fact, it goes so far as, I'm not sure this, this was uh, Suzuki. Uh, I don't remember it for sure. 
but he says uh, Samantabhadra, which is um, uh, one of the primordial Buddhas. But don't quote me on these words here because I'm off the cuff here. None of this is, is pre-prepared. Uh, <coughs> my own fact checker is my me memory. But Samantabhadra uh, spoke about not just liberating all of sentient beings that tends to be in the Bodhisattva vow, but he even vowed to liberate all right, to plants and animals and everything, right? So I guess he arguably wanted to tear this mother down, as they say. And I think that's what Ezekiel is speaking to. It's, it's more a reverence for life, right? Uh, an empathy that is missing. And so this is where I think there's a bit of an error in the doctrine of Christ, because when he's asked, he says, to love all God, I love all creation, to love God. And to love thy neighbor as they as as you love yourself, and I think that's the failure. Because, as I've said many times before in my podcast, when I was strictly talking about Buddhism, uh, the same thing exists there, right? <clears throat> uh, the Eastern Buddhists never imagined how self-loathing uh, a creature we are as a Western. Western, uh, well, whatever, Western Buddhist or just as a Western person. But because of our cultural influence, arguably we're doing the same thing to them now. So the problem lies not with how you treat your neighbor. Uh, it's how we treat ourselves, right? Because how, how are we surprised that we treat our neighbor like crap when we treat ourselves like crap, right? Remember that, that lesson. We talk about treating your neighbor, but we forget about how we treat ourselves. And that's the heart of each one of these protocols, each one of these practices. It's about coming to an understanding of the nature of self. What are we? Where are we going? What matters? All of this relates to the phenomenology of self. Sounds silly, all these big silly words. <coughs> But it's just understanding what, why, how, who, all of the W's. And then once we understand the W's, then maybe we can start putting together some learning with someday we may actually win. Right? I mean, and I joke, uh, my favorite... Uh, favorite little uh, quote recently was uh, was I think is a Shaivist practitioner and he just said that uh, there's a misunderstanding of how this works and I've talked about this when it comes to translating many of these Buddhist uh, books into English they seem to misunderstand that this spiritual practice is a circular one right the path is not linear it is very much a circular sort of path, right? Like uh, I reread a lot of my books, not just because I enjoy them, not just because I wanted to get more out of them, but because I can't remember what philosopher said this. Uh, no, you're not the same person as you were even moments ago. This is what the Buddhists see, right? Uh, you change from moment to moment, like the river, right? Uh, no two people step in the same river because it's constantly flowing and you can say that uh, 
right uh, on a hike the first time you cross that river that person doesn't exist anymore when you come back on your way home when you cross that river again you're not the same person you were but certainly it's not the same river in a sense right but so many people will get caught in the pedantry of life and they'll want to argue it's like oh well what if uh, you don't know it's not something meant to be cognized. In fact, the opposite. I'm listening to the Lankavatar that is talking about this idea that sometimes we need to get out of our own head. That's what a koan is or a huatuo. Uh, these riddles that are meant to tie up your conscious uh, intellect so that you can see through. But you don't want what I saw in a chat room where Literally, someone was claiming that, oh, there's an alternate paradigm to life where we're not all about contention. And, and so I had to ask three or four times, well, what is this alternate paradigm? He's like, well, just to be, just to be witness. So he says, you can just be drinking your coffee. And I'm like, so you're just, you give up your agency? You're just a non-player character? Right? Oh, well. And then they just wasted more time going on and on, like some sort of weird new age, I don't know, victim. <laughs> when in reality, it's the lesson of the Tetralemma that's even within Ecclesiastes, right? I told you that. Who knows the nature of a thing, right? Where is it here? Yeah. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that or whether both alike will be good, right? All that I observed replying. Yeah, this idea that we can't know, right? The, the answer might be A, it might be B, it might be a combination of A and B in a way that we didn't uh, think because we are so biased. Or we may not be asking the right questions. We may be unable to understand the, the answers. Um. Or I've talked about this before. We may be stupid, right? Either willfully ignorant, right? Uh, as Nietzsche said, uh, convictions worse than lies. So you may not want to know that you're wrong. You may not want to know the truth. Um, that's one aspect of stupid in the original Latin. Or you might be so stupefied, so challenged because of stress or the environment or cognitive dissonance or a language barrier or even just... As I said, just not enough knowledge to understand the answer, right? It's this doubt. It's to be led by doubt, which is in the Lanka Vatara, the fact that there is different forms of doubt, same as there's different forms of desire or, or thirst, right? We can't just, we can't cognize our way out of everything. But to assume there is no place for our ego, for ourselves, for our cognizance, for thinking, to, to believe there is no place at all for, for thinking is, well, it's the opposite of wisdom. It's a balance, right? It's a balance. Right? Same as the strife, my argument when it comes to uh, the nature of humanity is a certain amount of challenge. Suffering's guaranteed in life. So for someone to say that, uh, you know, strife is not the way we should, uh, you know, navigate the world, that sounds like one of these uh, kids that have been raised sheltered 
those uh, studies that have shown these young children who haven't been challenged in life have no resiliency whatsoever. And they have similar physical responses to uh, not getting the right coffee at Starbucks. They have very similar trauma responses to people who are actually physically assaulted, right? Like someone who's actually robbed. They feel as, uh, what would you call it? Uh, As um, transgressed. Uh, When technically it's all really the problem lies in their mind. It's not like anyone else really cares about them. If a mistake was made, it wasn't uh, malicious. Uh, So for them to see it as, uh, you know, a tragedy, as I've said before, uh, the real tragedy of trauma is that it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a tragedy and it doesn't have to be a trauma, right? As I said before, uh, trauma is simply... Uh, it's a memory that we're living out again as if it were happening now. And it's arguably, if you want to look at psychology, it's just uh, our psych, our, what'd you call it? Um, our subconscious uh, had previous experience that we didn't properly integrate. As they say, you didn't learn a lesson, right? Remember I said, we're winning or we're learning. <clears throat> so there was a situation where you didn't win, but you also didn't learn. Right, And so technically we only lose if we don't take the opportunity to learn. We've talked about this before. Creativity is hard, not because myth is rare, but uh, having the confidence and the bravery to fail six times in the hope that you might succeed once. That is what's rare. Right? You can have all the faith in the world in your talent, but until you start to uh, huh yeah I mean it relates to the uh, the idea I was talking about but um, I stole from Austin Klee and I I always had this idea that I thought idols were important I thought people made the mistake when they uh, uh, had too few idols Right. I, I guess I got that from Nietzsche, the idea of diversification from a banking background and also a fear of specialization. So I had many different idols that I looked up to. And Austin Cleon, the way he sees it, is the way we become who we are, kind of Jung's uh, individuation, is achieved through uh, uh, mimicry. Uh, I can't remember who... Uh, coined that there's somebody who is obsessed with uh with that idea that um it's it's just a an extension of uh jung's uh, persona philosophy or even going back to uh, these different faces that we wear and that uh, you can source to japanese philosophy and i'm sure it goes all the way back to another teaching before that but uh we don't become who we are until we actually fail at trying to be someone or something else. That's what this uh, theory is, is that we become who and what we are simply by accident because we're trying to be someone or something else, right? We're trying to uh, be our idol or we're trying to be our father or we're trying to not be our father 
And in the end, failing uh, to embody this fantasy, we end up landing on who we truly are, right? This is Jung's individuation. And so here's where the failure is. We're winning or we're learning. So when you land, do you see it as a failure because, oh my gosh, I'm not exactly like my idol? Or are you seeing it as a win that, gee, I'm not that idol. Hey, but I have come to learn more of who and what and how and why I am. And that's what it all boils down to. Every religion, every philosophy, every protocol has to do with coming to terms with who and what and why and where you are. So it's just the W's. The W's are our avenue to the ego. Because that is all the ego is, is what I mean by that, right? Ego is not an existent thing. It's just a construct. It's constructed of the who and the what and the why and the where. So we have to become the conscious actor. We cannot be the non-player character, right? As I said, Nietzsche explained this. He said, we are the evaluators. So instead of uh, being the victim of circumstance, instead of being the victim of I am angry, when we see that we are experiencing anger, when we see that I am experiencing a state of disruption or I am experiencing a situation of danger, when you see that who and what you are is made up of not just your experience, but how you narrate that experience after the fact. That's that integration that Jung was talking about. And this is why Jordan Peterson tends to harp on his um, uh, you know, narrative uh, theory, uh, writing out your story, telling your story. Because as I've said in the recent book, uh, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, totalitarianism, Desmitz clearly states that the problem lies not, not only here, but a big part of it is that identity, those are stories that other people tell that you're living, right? That's the failure that leads to an understanding. That's not your path. Your path is to use those stories of identity to construct your own narrative. We call that mythos, the stories we tell and we believe because they're the stories that we tell ourselves. Obviously, you have to be honest, but it's funny that that isn't a given, right? But on that, I'll leave it at that. That's why it all boils down to the phenomenology of self, that nothisotan of the Greeks, it isn't as, uh, as complicated as many people like to make it out to be. I, I personally see it. It couldn't get much more simple. Like here, there's a Proverbs. What are we at here? Proverbs 15, 15. All the days of the poor are hard, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. That is so true. And we're not talking about wealth. Like Technically, there's a lot of issues in our society uh, dealing with wealth, period. But the problem is poor of spirit, poor of positivity. 
I've mentioned this before. There's that book, uh, Hardwiring Happiness, that's it's been spoken about a million different ways. But I give that as an example because it's a great title. It just explains what the Vedantins do, that it's natural for us to see a snake in the road and, and think, uh, sorry, natural for us to see a, a stick in the road and think, oh, it's a snake because if it was a snake, you're going to need to avoid that danger. But it's not a big danger being wrong. It is a big danger if you ignore these warning signs. And here we are today, right? We need to be more positive. We need to, and it's so right, uh, someone was saying that the secret to happiness, because happiness really isn't a thing, contentedness really is the thing. But the secret is gratitude. Gratitude. Right? And as I said, uh, Maimonides himself said that that's not just being grateful for what you asked for, what you welcomed. It's it's welcoming and, and being grateful for everything that comes your way, especially the challenges and the tribulations. Because as I've said before, I don't believe we learn near as much from a success as we do from a so-called failure. So remember that we're winning or we're learning. And if you're not learning, that's when you're losing.